Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Go to Market Speed Dial podcast. I'm your host, Hillary Carpio. Today, I'm excited to welcome our podcast guest, Tim Geisenheimer, CEO and co founder of Correlated. Tim is not only the co-founder of Correlated, but he's a multi-time founder and co-founder, as well as a past venture partner, a past COO, past director at Twitter, and multiple sales roles. He has a lot of experience in the industry. I brought him on the podcast today to talk about all things PLG. So what is it? What do you do with it? What the heck does it mean? Who should be leveraging it? How does it affect the go-to-market motion differently than your traditional sales-led motion? And he is so helpful in answering all of those questions and just really breaking down this the simple terms of what product-led growth is and how to do it. So without further ado, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how's it going, Hillary? It's going. Thanks for joining us today. I'm excited for the episode. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, you're here today to talk about all things PLG, but before we dive in, I'd love for you to just give the audience an introduction as to who you are, who you work for, and something I always ask my guests is describe your role as if you're describing it to your parents. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my mom's visiting us uh, today, so maybe maybe I'll have to do that. I'm Tim uh, Geisenheimer, CEO and co-founder at, at Correlated. Um, and uh, what we do is specialize in helping um, companies and, and go-to-market teams find uh, their customers uh, that are kind of ready to pay, ready to expand revenue. Uh, my role as CEO, well, it's a little bit of everything, uh, basically. <laughs> so um, it kind of depends on the day, any given day or any given week. I could be doing, you know, various things, working with investors, working with customers, working with the team, uh, all that, all that fun stuff. So that's uh, that's it in a nutshell. I love it, and so you guys are focused on PLG. And PLG are three letters that have just gone wild over the last year or so. And a lot of people don't even know what that means. So before we get started, can you please tell us what PLG is? Not only what do the three letters mean, but uh, kind of a little broader definition. Yeah, sure. So so PLG stands for product-led growth. And um, you know, I think the easiest definition is it's a kind of distribution model for a product. And um, the idea is that the product itself is a, a huge component of growth. And that could be in terms of um, users and usage, but also in terms of monetization. And I'd say the hallmark of, of PLG is that you have a um, what's called a self-serve product. So that means that someone, usually an individual, can sign up for the product kind of on their own, start using it without having kind of any impediments, really, and then potentially even start to pay for it and pay a lot of money for it. Um, without you know having to talk to a human, without having to talk to sales, or um, or, or kind of get access, so that, that's the idea behind PLG. So, to, in order to be PLG, does the initial sign up have to be free, or can it still be a product led growth motion if you have to pay with a credit card, say for the lowest tier? Yeah, great, great question. I would say PLG is definitely a catch all term. So there's no you know, hard and fast requirement uh, to, to qualify as PLG. There, there's all sorts of different flavors and and different um, permutations. That's part of why I think the term itself is you know, a little hard to, to pin down. But but definitely you don't have to kind of have a free version. There are uh, a lot of examples of massive PLG businesses. I think Snowflake might be one of them where you can um, kind of start using it in a self-serve way and, and you know, have a credit card down and, and you're paying for consumption or, or usage of that product. Uh, even if it's only a little bit amount of money, you know, a little bit, um, you're still kind of paying to, to use the product, but it's still self-serve, right? You don't have to talk to anybody mm -hmm. to start using it. You can just kind of get started. 
Yeah. What are some other big name companies that are a PLG that might be able to trigger an example in the listener's mind? Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of examples. I think that once you hear them, you're like, oh, PLG, of course, that, that makes sense. So some popular products that you might use every day are, are things like Zoom for video conferencing, Slack for um, communication, uh, Calendly for scheduling. All these products are, you know, it's possible to just go to their website, uh, click a download button or, or a start button, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're using the product um, either for free or, or start to pay for it uh, without having to talk to anybody. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know that there's a lot of people really familiar with that 40 minute cutoff on Zoom after that that free portion, right? Exactly. Upgrade. Yeah. Why do you think PLG has taken off all of a sudden, right? This isn't new necessarily. So why the craze now? Well, I think for the last, uh, you know, a couple of years prior to maybe the current economic environment in 2023 and, and kind of second half of 2022, a big reason why people were interested in it is because of the sort of financial results. So if, if you look at some of the data that um, is put out there, and there are a couple of venture capital firms, including OpenView, that, that do a lot of um, investigation of software and, and different trends, uh, the companies that were kind of defined as PLG often had best-in-class uh, performance and, and business metrics. And so I think by virtue of that performance uh, in the stock market and just looking at some of the metrics around net dollar retention, a, a common metric that's tracked, or even revenue growth, um, they often really performed well, especially in comparison to, to sort of non-PLG companies. And I said, so I think as soon as you start to see those results and the, the stock market results uh, in terms of the price and the valuation, I think that gets a lot of people's attention and, and gets them excited. Obviously, we're now in a kind of a different uh, economic environment where maybe that the focus isn't quite the same on those metrics. But I think the interest today is in uh, how can you drive growth? How can you drive it in, in a way that's sustainable where there's um, you know not a ton of cost or, or spend associated if you can avoid it? And again, that's a, a, a way that PLG shines because it's often a lot cheaper to acquire a customer through a, a self-serve motion versus through an expensive kind of sales and marketing effort. So. Happy to dive in more there, but those are some of the reasons why I think it's gotten a lot of uh, popularity over the last few years. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think about account-based marketing, which is you know the field that I'm in personally, and how I get a lot of questions about ABM and how to do ABM and who should use ABM uh, because it's such a, a hot topic or a trend, but people are more interested in riding the trend than the actual it being like right for their business. So with that, who is PLG right for? Who should be thinking about adopting a PLG motion versus what is kind of the cutoff or the parameter to say PLG probably isn't for you? Yeah, it's a great question. And one we get uh, a lot and we think about a lot. I think the the real sort of dividing line for whether or not self-serve or PLG is, is kind of right for, for your business or your company or your product is can you can you deliver your product in a way that that an end user, so an individual, can just start using it on their own um, and have a good experience? Uh, I think that that's kind of a really key thing. And not every product can be delivered that way. And, and you know, there's some products that are um, you know really uh, hard to get going. I mean, there are good reasons why. You know, I can think of some great companies, a company like Palantir, for example, that sells very expensive and high, you know, very high quality products to maybe government agencies, that sort of thing. You're probably not going to deliver those kind of bespoke software solutions that maybe cost millions of dollars uh, per year um, to an end user in a self-serve way. And so I think if you have 
you know, a type of product that that's like that, it's a little bit more complex and the delivery is going to be a little bit more custom. It's not going to make sense for you. But if you have a product that can be used by an individual, you know, and they can get, get started on their own and get to value maybe on their own, um, you, you probably have something that could go from maybe what's what's called sales led today to, to something that's called more mm. more product led. Got it. And when you do a product led motion, how do you measure success and what are the primary KPIs you're looking at? Yeah, so I think kind of similar to, to go to market side where retention's um, something that, that people look at. I think for, for any product uh, or any product led motion, looking at retention is really critical. So you want to see, okay, someone signs up and starts using the product, you know, are they sticking around? Are they getting value? Are they eventually converting maybe down to becoming a paid customer? Um, and, and obviously, as I said before, there's so many different permutations. It could be free or free trial or something called a reverse trial. We can get into all these things if we want. Uh, but ultimately, you're looking at, okay, are people sticking around? Are they um, sort of getting value and then coming, you know, continuing to come back? And, and if they are, that means that the, the product obviously is resonating and things are, are starting to work. And, and if not, then there's probably some, some work that needs to happen, usually on the product side, to, to make it a better experience. I'd love for you to dive a little bit more into you said a reverse trial. What does that mean? Yeah, so there's so there's a lot of fun kind of terms and <laughs> buzzwords and you know attached to PLG. Reverse trial, I think, is is one of them. So a reverse trial, basically, you can think of it as um, you can sign up for the product and you get access to everything, um, and then maybe that's only for like a 14 day or 30 day period. So that's your trial period. You get access to the whole. Kind of value enterprise tier, growth tier, whatever you want to call it. At the end of that 14 days, if you don't convert to paid, you continue with the product, but you're downgraded to like a free tier or a kind of more limited version. So you went from that full version to the kind of less full version after the trial is over. So usually what happens in a normal trial is you'll get maybe some taste of the product, and then you can upgrade to the paid version. This is kind of the reverse of that. You're going from the paid, the kind of big paid version to um, a more stripped down version if you don't convert. So that's, it's been a strategy that's relatively recent, but I think people like it a lot because it gives you a chance to really show your products, you know, full capabilities up front and hopefully get an opportunity to, to have that person uh, convert uh, after seeing kind of the full value that they can get. Yeah, I think I've been the recipient of quite a few of those in different different things I've signed up for, both in business and outside of. How do you consider the loss or the cost more so of doing a trial like that? Is there any net cost to the business to give out free trials for that amount of time? It's a great question. I think, um, you know, a big sort of math equation for SaaS is the, the cost to acquire a customer, commonly called CAC. And so... You know, I think going into that cost would be, um, you know, getting into accounting a little bit here, but, you know, you, you would look at are there legitimate costs associated with delivering, you know, that trial version up front. Uh, and you might associate those with, with costs like, like alongside marketing or expense or kind of other expenses that are often considered as part of um, CAC. And, you know, I think most software products, though, with the exception of, of maybe products like a, a Snowflake, for example, uh, you know, they have pretty good margin profiles. It's, it's a web application usually. And so it's not that expensive to to run. If you think of like a Miro or you know, some of these products, you know, it's not going to cost a ton to give a trial version to an individual. 
versus things that are maybe data intensive or processing a lot of data. If you're giving that away for free, um, that might be a little bit more expensive. So it obviously depends on the, the type of product, but um, you're ultimately looking to, to you know, acquire customers as cheaply as you can and have them have them convert to, to spend more than you, you spend on acquiring them if, if you can. And so it's all kind of rolled in in my mind. Yeah, so there's two things that come to mind with that. There's one, enablement, and two, sales motion that would look different. I'm thinking that enablement probably has to be a bit more robust from a self-serve model to make sure somebody knows how to use the tool and adopt it successfully. And then sales looks different to sell to somebody who has already been exposed to the product versus, you know, a net new prospect that's never heard of you. Can you talk a little bit about those two components? Absolutely. I think those are really interesting areas and, and ones that we think a lot about. And, you know, one of them we think more about than the other, but I'll start with the, the kind of what's often called onboarding. Um, so when someone first signs up, you know, you, you have this limited window because remember we talked about retention before as being a key thing. You don't want someone to kind of forget about, you know, they sign up for Miro and then they can't figure out how to do a, a whiteboard or a mind map or whatever they're trying to do. So they, they're off to the next thing. So getting them enabled early on, usually within the product through onboarding is a critical challenge and one that product teams think a lot about. There's actually a whole category of, of companies and products that um, that are really working on this. We're, we're using one called Bento. We had some the CEO of Bento on last week to one of our community calls, but there's a ton of others like AppCues, WalkMe, Pendo, uh, chameleon we talked to that ceo a little while back so tons of tons of different options here for kind of doing a great job on on onboarding and um def definitely can recommend looking at tools there as well if you're if you're interested and then on the sales side i mean that's the area that we really help with and think a lot about so when a customer is you know someone signs up for the product and then maybe they're part of a larger company and, and they're using the free version but that company is maybe you know on, on, in your icp they, they've maybe shown signs of of buying intent and other tools like as a salesperson you want to say okay this is a maybe a legitimate sales opportunity but i also want to reference the fact that they're in the product and they're doing things and i want to make sure they're getting the best experience and helping them maybe with a solutions engineer or helping them find the right documentation if i can and so there's often uh, in plg a role called sales assist that's a specific uh, role or a product specialist so um, these are kind of carved out uh, to help those users get onboarded and then obviously um, pass off the ones that seem qualified to sales and um, and get them into a more of a, a sales process that's expedited if, if possible. So uh, both areas are, are very interesting and, and are kind of core to, to making PLG work. Very cool. So from a sales perspective and a sales strategy perspective, how do you think about how many people and the time and money investment into selling directly to your top accounts versus time focused on accounts that have already been using the product and they're a, a product-led lead? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think in my mind, uh, that those should really overlap. So I think in a lot of PLG companies that we work with, your top accounts are often already using the, the product or have had some usage in some way, shape or form. And so one of the best strategies you can employ is trying to find a way to weave in that usage to your sales efforts into the accounts that kind of are at the top of your list. Now, obviously, there's going to be some accounts that you have that you know don't have any usage whatsoever. You still want to get that you know Fortune 500 account, and you want to find ways to to break in there, and, and that's that's great. Um, but in cases where you have a top account and you have that 
um, usage, there's often different strategies you can employ on the sales side to um, to use that usage to your advantage. And so one just tangible example would be an account consolidation um, play. And so basically the play there would be to say, okay, I know I have Apple as a large account. Um, I'm Let's use Miro again as the example. I'm, I'm a salesperson at Miro that, that owns Apple. I see that there are 10 different teams within Apple that are using Miro. They're in disparate groups, but they're all using Miro successfully. And there's been usage increasing, increasing over the last couple of months. I'm going to go to the CIO at Apple and say, hey, you're already using our product. Um, your teams are already having success. Here are some stories, success stories we've had with teams there. They're, they're loving Miro. We see great, even greater success in these different ROI proof points if we have everyone in the company using Miro because of XYZ reasons or whatever. So you can start to infuse those value props into the story and you're using a really powerful kind of pitch essentially of, of the fact that it's already at the company that people are already successful with it there. So that's one um, kind of thing that we've seen companies and, and sales teams do to really be successful with like a PLG sales strategy. That's really neat. What about from the marketing side? So how should marketers be thinking about supporting their sales team differently or even getting initial users onto the platform for the free, the freemium level? Do you have any advice to those go-to-market leaders for how they should be thinking about things differently? Yeah, we, we work with a lot of marketing teams. And so, you know, I think the, the sales side ultimately wants, you know, I think a couple of things. One, to get, you know, good leads, I think, or mm -hmm. be kind of armed with um, with high, you know, high intent leads that are, are relevant. Um, so that would be a big one. And then two, to have context around, you know, why is a lead maybe a high score? And like, you know, especially this is especially challenging for, for product-led companies because often the high score is related to product usage. So what about their usage is um, kind of leading them to be a good lead? Can you provide any context there? And so oftentimes marketers who are being kind of asked by sales to provide both those things really need access to data and they need resources that they can put to bear um, from a data standpoint to kind of enable the, the sales side with that, um, because that that's ultimately a data piece. And um, I'm sure in your experience, uh, you know, on the ABM side, data is a huge component to what you do too. So mm -hmm. that, that resonates uh, a bit, but that's certainly what we see. And um, and I think the, the last thing is, you know, most of these product-led companies um, have a problem of too many leads. Like there's so many top of funnel signups uh, into the product. Like if you think of Amira, for example, again, to use that, product hundreds of thousands a month, that it's no longer a kind of sales, um, you know, just hand the lead off, even if it's a good lead, there's still too many like even good leads. So prioritization mm -hmm. and doing, you know, scoring becomes a, a big challenge and, and something that marketing needs to, needs to help with. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more and, you know, we're never doing sales pitches on this podcast, but I am familiar with your guys' product and I um, am a huge fan myself and I'd love for you to break down how correlated helps create that scoring and helps do the prioritization in a way that's very personalized, but also can be rolled out across multiple businesses very easily. You're kind of making making scoring a lot more accessible for a lot of people. So I'd love for you to talk about that for a second. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the I, I come from a sales background, sales leadership background, uh, and I was before that an individual contributor. So you know, ultimately, I kind of have. A healthy appreciation for being handed leads, um, you know, that it's unclear, w you know, what to do. And so I think when we set out to, to build scoring, we really wanted to make it um, both 
correct. So can we build a scoring <laughs> system that's actually going to be as you know correct as possible and actually generate kind of the right leads? But then, you know, once you have kind of that confidence, you have to then deliver them uh, in a way that the sort of sales side that's going to be taking action can say, okay, I know what to do with this, or I'm given, you know, some enablement here. Uh, and so the way our system works is basically you are able to set a goal, um, like for example, expansion or that, that consolidation play I mentioned earlier, or uh, conversion, for example. And then our system kind of seeks out the commonalities that all the accounts that did expand uh, are showing. And then to enable sales, we actually show, okay, what are the different things that are markers of an account that's showing a high propensity score to expand, for example, and we'll show, oh, okay, they had, you know, five workspaces and then they have, you know, 10 people invited in the last week and they're part of an account that's got over 500 employees. That, that's, that ranks really highly. We'll give kind of the tick by tick on the top five indicators so that the sales team can then say, or salesperson can say, okay, I'm going to go, um, you know, into this account with this approach. I know that they have you know, five workspaces and they've just been inviting a bunch of teammates. So I'm gonna use that in my messaging um, to uh, some of the contacts there that I think are the right fit um, to see if that can get me in the door and help me personalize my, my outreach. So those are some of the ways that we think about scoring and think about the enablement side as well. And I, I would say the last thing is we're always making it you know better. It's, it's something that we're working with our customers mm -hmm. every day to try and improve because you know, ultimately, I don't think it's, you know, the, the more enablement you can do, the better, uh, at least is the feedback that we've gotten from the sales side. So um, th thanks for asking. I, I appreciate you uh, digging a little bit on this. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And, you know, one of the things where it does is make it easier for somebody to effectively do a PLG motion and really connect with their sales team. So I'm going to use that as a transition point to what are three tips that you have for the listeners that are starting out on or on their way on their PL journey? Um, what can they do to uplevel their PLG efforts? Three tips. Yeah. So I would say one, the first letter in PLG is product. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, I think it might sound like a, you know, just easy thing to, to indicate, but making sure you have a fantastic product and you're really thinking about the product experience, especially from first sign up through to kind of getting to um, an important aha moment uh, and getting someone kind of hooked is really essential. So, um, and it's a full company effort. It's not just the product engineering side, you know, sales and support and customer success and marketing, they should all be listening to that feedback kind of at the front lines on, on the product usage and understand like what's working or what's not. So I think that's, that's number one. Number two, I think making sure that your onboarding is as good as it can be. And I think I would, I would endorse looking at some of those tools. And uh, if you don't want to build it in house, it can be sometimes really hard to build in house, but there's so much drop off after the first, you know, minute, 30 minutes or so, or first few days, even we, I forget the company, probably probably shouldn't disclose it anyway, but they said they found that uh, if they couldn't hook someone in the first 30 minutes after sign up, that there was just a huge drop off in terms of retention. So uh, I, I think that's probably pretty common across a lot of products. So yeah, we're working on that, that onboarding um, is really critical. And I think the last piece that we've seen, you know, a lot, especially for companies that, that might be adding on a product-led growth motion that, that haven't kind of started out that way, um, is that it's a full company effort. It's not just a product engineering effort. It's not just a go-to-market kind of effort. Um, it's every part of the company has to be aligned. And so, um, you know, I think starting with maybe the CEO, you, you have to 
make this a real priority and uh, mm -hmm. get the entire kind of company aligned around it um, and, and make it a focus. Uh, and if you don't do that, I think at least we've we've seen that it can it can lead to less optimal outcomes uh, in, in that effort. Yeah, that's super helpful. And you said something that caught my attention was you have to have an aha moment for the user. And the aha moment can be difficult to pin down. So you also need to be talking to your customers, watching any recorded screen sessions, et cetera, if you want to look at it. So that's a, a great note to keep in mind uh, with any marketing play. You need to have the aha moment. Very cool. I'm going to transition into the kind of wrap up here. We're almost at the end of our time. Um, I have a few questions I ask all of the guests. The first is, what do you wish you knew sooner in your career? Oh, great question. I think, um, you know, I, I've been in start doing startups for a while now. And, and I, you know, realized relatively early on in my career, but maybe not early enough, that it was what I, um, you know, I'm really passionate about and what I want to do. And so I, I would say, you know, uh, there was a point in my earlier on in my career where I was, you know, really scared to kind of make the leap. And, you know, I had, I had a, a sales job and I was doing well in it and I was getting, I got promoted a couple of times and, you know, ultimately uh, it, it was the right decision to kind of jump into the unknown and, and do startups. Um, but I think I waited maybe a year or two, too long. So my advice, very, very uh, subjective and based on my own experience would be, you know, don't wait. Don't wait that year or two. Take take the risk. Mm -hmm. Do do the thing you think you want to do. Would be would be mine. Do the thing. It's good advice. Um, cool. Next thing. Who is on your speed dial when you're in a pickle? You need help. Who do you call? Well, I think um, I'm fortunate to uh, to be married to someone who uh, has been extremely helpful to me. So that would have to be my my wife's on my my speed dial, and uh, very lucky as an entrepreneur <laughs> to be supported by. Uh, by her um so she, she's number one i love that power couple and last question where can listeners find you if they want to get more information sure yeah i'm on uh twitter uh t geisenheimer and i'm on linkedin tim geisenheimer uh those are probably the two places i'm i'm most active and if you want to shoot me an email it's uh tim at getcorrelated.com always happy to chat about this stuff right on well, thank you for joining today. I know that while PLG has been a very popular topic, it's not super clear to everybody what it is. And a lot of people are afraid to ask, quote, the dumb questions. So thank you for taking my, quote, dumb questions as we kind question. of demystify it for the audience. I think it'll be really helpful for a lot of people. So thank you for joining. Well, thanks for having me, Hillary. It was, it was a lot of fun. Super appreciative to our guest today, Tim, for breaking down all things PLG. If you love the podcast, I would love for you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are super helpful in getting more podcast listeners uh, here on the go-to-market speed dial. So I appreciate you doing that. You can drop an emoji, you can drop a comment, you can drop um, a smiley face or any thoughts that you have on this week's episode. As always, I need to let you know that the thoughts, opinions, and ideas expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect that of my employer. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Go to Market Speed Dial podcast. Until next time.